We are back with another episode of Movie Talk on the Legit Cool Podcast, and we are continuing with our legacy series where we focus on one director and move through their entire slate of films in chronological order of release. Joining me again, because he can't get enough, <laughs> is <laughs> cinephile giant Nathan Sammy. Yo, hey River, how are you this morning, bro? Oh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty, pretty good, good, actually. It's yeah. good. Me too. Me too. I'm ready. Feeling good. <laughs> actually, you know, the morning started off with uh, a lot of multitasking. I did it. <laughs> how was that? <laughs> you a multitask pro? Mm, I think... I think in my mind, I like to tell myself that I am a multitask pro, but I don't think I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd tell myself the same. I think you need to be like awake and ready and have all the things in mind. And uh, then you can like make a good decision. <laughs> Which, but, speaking of this film. <laughs> I'm actually like, I'm actually uh, hoping that none of my clients hear this podcast. Because oh, yeah. like if they hear that I'm not a multitasker, <laughs> then they'll probably be like, I don't know if I should have got this guy to Legit do. cool. Yeah. We want everyone to listen, except for your clients. We want everyone to listen, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and of course, my name is River Villy and I'm the resident host of Legit Cool Podcast, where we analyze, critique, recap and review films to which we draw our own conclusions and give our own personal rating. In this run of legacy series, we are focusing on Christopher Nolan and the magnificent films he has created over the years. And if you haven't checked out our first episode, which is on Memento, I recommend you do that before you do this episode. Um, in that episode, I share a bit on his biography and also his work. So if you want to go back and check out the Memento episode, I believe that is episode 18. This is episode 19, uh, which brings us to his second film. Well, officially it's his third film, but for <laughs> this legacy series, it is our second film in the Nolan arsenal. And we're here to talk to you guys about Insomnia, a movie that came out in 2005 with a budget of $46 million and a box office of $67.3 million. Insomnia is the first and still the only film that has not been written by Nolan. Wow. Well, yeah. Mm. Insomnia is the only remake sitting in Nolan's resume as well. So that's mm. pretty interesting. And this is kind of what I was saying before we started recording this was that um, it would be interesting to look at his interviews when he was releasing the film. Yeah. And um, asking the questions, you know, why did you decide to do a remake um, for the first time? But I guess... You know, if they're asking those questions at the time of 2005, they're not really sure whether he is going to continue to do remakes. To do remakes yeah. Well, I guess it's interesting because following from this, you, we then jump into something which moves Nolan into the public eye even more so, which is Batman Begins, where he's not taking a remake, but he is taking a archetypal character and uh, something that's infamous in all of yeah like all of pop media histories yeah like guys which is batman so which i'm so amped about yeah boy the dark knight trilogy that is coming up very very closely so you know this is a, a remake of a norwegian film that came out in 1997 mm -hmm. director eric skull <laughs> It's got one of those weird letters. That yeah, like, letter. I like butcher his last name. I mean, those Norwegian names, I had no idea how to pronounce them. Um, yeah, so Eric Skolbeg and writer Nicolaj Fro 
Frobenius, Frobenius, <laughs> went on to write mm. Nolan's version, which was released in uh, 2002. Sorry, I said 2005 before. That was completely wrong. It was released in May 24th, 2002. So this is actually interesting because he got the original filmmakers to also write and co-produce this film. Yeah, that is that's unique. I, that's really unique for a remake. In in the in the same sense, I've been doing a lot of Spider-Man thinking lately, but where you have something like Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, mm. different writers, different directors, but still the same company. Yeah. And so you have this sense of continuity of uh, intellectual property, but this is this is quite unique actually for anything of the time. It's yeah. so close to the original as well in terms of, uh, time like five years that <laughs> five years it's <laughs> just yeah it's a very weird which would, i feel like it, it's a bit of a it'd be funny for these writers coming back to rewrite their own story and i wonder if this was more to to make bring it to the global stage rather than keep it to something that was niche and probably northern european in its first release yeah which i wouldn't be surprised by yeah um the the kind of sad thing though is that I mean, I don't know if this is a sad thing or if this is sort of a uh, a mark of being proud about their original project, the Norwegian filmmakers. Their version, 997, is actually rated well below or rated way lower on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes yeah. compared to Christopher Nolan's version. His, his, his usual <laughs> eclipsing. <laughs> um, Which, I, I, you yeah. know, I guess it's not a surprise if, if uh, anybody knows anything of Christopher Nolan that, you know, he would always rank a little bit higher just because he's a great filmmaker. But at the same time, I haven't actually seen the 997 yeah. one. Well, so. I think maybe we should uh, do a legacy, legacy review potentially <laughs> of Insomnia, uh, not directed by Christopher Nolan. But the, the other part of this is the mainstays. You have Al Pacino, you have Robin Williams. You're going to get more, like, you know, more uh, people in the seats, so to say. True. And then you yeah. have someone like Nolan, who is an up-and-coming director at this point. Yeah. I guess that it's not... For, for him, maybe, he wants the sure thing and a solid script and a solid story yeah. so he can then flex his creative muscles. It's true. <laughs> it is very, very true. So, you know, this was, yes, again, released on May 24, 2002. It's got a runtime of one hour and 58 minutes, so just shy of two hours. Insomnia is set in a small town called Nightmute in Alaska, which, by the way, is a proper yeah, town, but it's not the same town that we see in the film. Mm. Um, they actually doubled, um, well, they used uh, another town in BC, Canada, to double as Nightmute. Because if you look up Nightmute, it's literally a desolate land, piece of land. Like, there's mm. nothing there, probably just, like, um, a bunch of bark and snow. And River, and River knows because he has had personal experience of traveling <laughs> through Alaska. <laughs> yeah, I might revisit that someday, actually. Go back to Alaska. <laughs> After watching this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, this is going to put a lot of people off from going to the Arctic <laughs> Circle for sure. Um, so this follows the story of a veteran detective who was sent to this small town to investigate a murder of a teenage girl. Forced into a psychological game of cat and mouse by the primary suspect, played by Robin Williams, events escalate and Detective finds his own stability dangerously threatened. Starring Al Pacino, Robin Williams, Hilary Swank, Maura Tierney, Martin Donovan, Nikki Katz, Paul Dooley, Jonathan Jackson, Larry Holdman, and Catherine Isabel. Insomnia. What are your first impressions of Insomnia? 
first impression. So this was... Uh, <laughs> Tell us of, right now. Yeah, well, one of the uh, few Nolan films I haven't seen, and you'll find out which the other ones are <laughs> when we get to um, when we get to those reviews. I found it just an excellent shift mentally for me jumping into this after Memento. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I was just missing linear progression in stories, but to have a linear progression meant that the strength of this thriller murder mystery could really uh, hone into the key characters, the key characters being Al Pacino, his partner, Hilary Swank, the mysterious murderer, but also the town of Nightmute. And I think when I heard of and heard of Insomnia and I thought Christopher Nolan, I didn't know anything else beyond that. So I wasn't sure what to expect and to find that, Ah, oh, insomnia is about a cop, and this is a Nolan a Nolan trope we're talking about a corrupt cop, which is a very Nolan-y trope. It's become a, a theme it's for a, Nolan. It's very right? much a theme. He has he has corrupt cops popping up. I think his his sense. <laughs> what of, are you trying to sell? To I think he's talking about justice. <laughs> I think justice is like a core concept for for Nolan: justice yeah. and vengeance, and who is right. Yeah. But in this film, you have the concept of a good cop versus a bad cop mm. in this one character. But you also have this third this third element to who he is, which is that he is starting to experience insomnia. And yep. he doesn't know if he is good or bad. And so some of his actions are because he's trying to be good. Some of them are because he's trying to be bad. But some of his actions are incoherent because he has insomnia. And I think that is just cool for trying to work through and solve this mystery. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, what about you, Rilla? You know, I saw this movie, hmm, I think the first time I saw it was in the cinema. Um, I don't think it was in 2002, though, when I saw this movie. I, I think I saw it as a rerun. Yeah, like, a, this, like, one of those like little, a comeback yeah, yeah. type thing. Um, you We're know, playing so, Roland Nolan's fans. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, I think I would have seen it at a, like a retro cinema or something. Mm. And so uh, I wanted to go see it because I was familiar with Memento and um, I was pretty excited to go see this. And the first time I watched it, I the weird thing is that I didn't have an overly positive impression the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's because there was such a dull tone to it. And, and I don't mean the story is dull because I think the story is pretty interesting and it's quite frightening as well, the story. <laughs> it is um, frightening yeah. it's kind of frightening so i didn't i didn't think the story was dull i just felt that the movie itself was dull and that's the only thing i really remember that first time but after re-watching it over the years and especially watching it re-watching it before getting into the cast um i i like it i don't love it um i definitely like the movie um i I, I mean, I was going to jump straight into a rating right now, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I won't do that. I'll, I'll save the rating <laughs> we'll save for later. That for the end, yeah. <laughs> but I definitely like the film. I do like the characters that are in it. I like Hilary Swank. I mean, yeah. I think she's she was kind of an up and coming at that point. I think she was coming off of the back of 
Karate Kid or something Classic, like that. Yeah. I, I don't think she was coming off the back because it's like 2002. <laughs> I think Karate Kid came out in like the mid 90s or something like that. Yeah, 94, um, 95. Yeah, yeah, so she was kind of doing well for herself. Actually, I think this was the time that she was doing Freedom Riders. Okay, yep, yep. Yeah, because she's amazing. I, I haven't had as much to do with Hillary Swank. Yeah. I just was like, oh, she's just the name about town in my mind, and I've definitely watched a lot of things with her in it. But, gotcha, yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, she's so familiar. <laughs> yeah. She's a great actress. She, uh, and I, I think her, um, she had a bit of a Hermione Granger earnestness, <laughs> integrity, intelligence. She's present. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. And, and in terms of a cast, man, like. It's the, Yeah. To move, move away from another Nolanism, which is the blonde haired, blue eyed Nolan, insert Nolan here protagonist, <laughs> to have Al Pacino as. Maybe Nolan yeah. as an older grizzled. Yeah, <laughs> Nolan. True. It's like, like Nolan trying to perform as like trying to direct his films like fifty years from now or something, and it's yeah. like Al Pacino Unless, still in his like retirement phase as a detective. Unless Nolan is inserting himself in as an older Robin Williams type. Uh, <laughs> uh. um, but yeah, no, that's very yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It's. Um, I guess we can wait till the end of our legacy series to see where this ranks for you and your Nolan film. Yeah. Um, saga. Okay. I, like I, I definitely like, I do like the characters. I do like the actors in it. You know, I, it's very rare that I get to see Al Pacino, especially in this day and age. Mm. So it's nice to revisit his roles in the past. And I'm pretty sure like at that period, the early two thousands, that was like the, um, the downward spiral maybe of the Al Pacino career because everybody else is just becoming a bit more popular at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's becoming less and less of a lead. It's Cause as I was saying him and De Niro and all those guys, they were all moving into rom-coms, but he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is cool. I love that. Him. Yeah. He kind of held his, his own. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think he didn't, you know, quote unquote sell out. I mean, I don't think those boys sell out. No, like, no, no, um, no. It's a good pivot. You know, it's like, a good pivot for their career and you know, they're all, much older now so you know what else are they going to really do yeah. and um, you know if we're speaking of rom-coms and this is not exactly a rom-com <laughs> but i don't know if you saw the movie the intern with um uh what's her name uh prin- princess uh princess uh man oh, okay. no no i'm thinking uh, is it uh is it the google movie yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no 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 why is her name not coming to my oh, mind <laughs> um Anyway, that movie, The Intern, it's a, it's it's a pretty cool movie. It's yeah. it's lighthearted. It's fun. Oh, yeah. The um, Princess Bride. Um, no, I know. No, not the, the Princess Bride, but um, the Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. Don't even know her name. She's also in more of Nolan's movies as well. Yeah, true. Um, and the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anne Hathaway. You know. Anyway, that movie is like really cool, and it's it's not really rom com, but it's kind of within that sphere of mm. like lighthearted like comedy is solid energy but like yeah, yeah very positive very optimistic type films or yeah. whatever um but i digress i'm gonna come back to insomnia <laughs> you know talking about al pacino so al pacino is great in this movie i think robin williams is great in this movie it's also a little bit sad to see him again mm. um like i said in the sense that it just reminds me of his death because he actually died um what is it in 2015 i think is when he died maybe um, but it's just so sad to like come back to Robin Williams films. Twenty fourteen. Uh, twenty fourteen, yeah. Come back to Robin Williams films and see him again on screen. It just yeah. like reminds you of that sad moment, really, because I, I remember posting a lot about his death. Um, well, you had. have this like, and again, what what is exciting coming to this film for me was 
you have that eerie reminder of his uh, phenomenal capacities as an actor mm. uh, while having in- incredible improv genius. And yeah, I think no one, no one further forward than him in terms of uh, comedic and particularly um, like even his facial expressions as an actor and mm. as a comedian to then draw those things to this. And to, is it uh, the photo booth film? uh photo one hour photo one hour photo yeah. and and then you have um yeah, as another like little smaller warmth film with that solid acting you obviously That's have right. goodwill hunting as well like goodwill hunting yeah you, you you reminded that this man just had such a presence of humanity mm. that he knew how to work and work within to create such complex characters yeah and um his character in this film's just ridiculous it's great yeah, yeah it's really really good so yeah I, I do like some of the performances there are some actors that i think take up unnecessary screen time mm. um and <laughs> just kind of make the film a little bit chunky but it's more of a nitpick more than a criticism yeah um there's there's the the strange thing is that like i like the movie but i i'm still kind of unsure why i don't love the film and i think that really comes down to the content that the demonstrating and it's a very tough piece to try and tell yeah you know um like who has the guts to really tell a very inspiring optimistic story that is about a killer slash rapist you know someone that you're supposed to um not supposed to vouch for but you know um if you do want to tell an interesting story you can kind of subvert an expectation of who that murderer is and then you know you can probably find a smart way of getting the audience to feel for the murderer, even though you shouldn't really, because it kind of like mm. it, it divides your moral compass in a way. <laughs> but um, it's, I, I think that's why I find movies like these very difficult for me to feel engaged with, because yeah. it's not really the subject matter that I want to be engaged with. <laughs> yeah, which is so interesting because I, um, that there, there's a point, I think we'll get to it when we get into the recap in this film where I got much more engaged because of that concept. Gotcha. Yeah. And, um, and it like pushes you towards things like, like Mindhunter in recent days. Where oh, you have yeah. This, um, you know, sympathy for the devil is, you know, that truly the, sure. the idea. Yeah. Um, but again, I like that this film does that with the strong concept that is built around and and Hilary Swank's character, as well as uh, what's the um, um, uh, Martin Donovan's character Eckhart, yeah. they they basically are the um, the angel and, and the demon sitting on Al Pacino's shoulders yeah. in many ways. One yeah. of them shouting at his um, inconsistencies and um, what's happening for him back in LA, sure. and the other ones shouting at his competency and his legacy as a detective mm-hmm. and this person that idolizes him yeah. and is being pulled by these two, these two concepts. So yeah. I think it, it's, it's um, a really interesting natu- natural progression uh, that is so different for a thriller murder mystery. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, from that angle, definitely like something that is um, <clears throat> a lot more impactful for a story, especially for, you know, those types of characters, but, um, yeah, I, I think I always just come back to the default of the subject matter being really hard for me to. Yeah, to which is good. I think maybe that's part of it too. Is like the it uncomfortability. Just tells me that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very good person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, your moral compass is working. <laughs> is well, working. I, I like. It doesn't actually turn off. No. <laughs> but but again, that that that's uh, 
that's a, a very Nolan thing. And one thing I've often done in films where I felt that, and and I, I think this is this is a great part of film is that it enables you to feel it puts you into other people's shoes. Yeah, I um I often have these points when you get to those uh, morally ambiguous characters where you suddenly decide I don't want to be in their shoes anymore. Mm-hmm. I hope they you know I hope justice is done to them. And in this film, there was a point with Al Pacino's character where I was like. Yep, you're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, what the movie does well, though. Yeah, it you know, really the movie does. Does, like... does well to deal and handle with his characters the best way that it, that it should. Yeah. Instead of actually making it an easy road for their characters. Yeah. So uh, that being said, I think we should jump into the recap. Um, if it's your first time here, then uh, just a little bit of an idea about how the recap goes is that we just go through the entire plot of the film. So we break it up into three acts, which is the classic three-act structure in a film. Act one, act two, act three, and then we have a conclusion how the film actually finishes off. So, of course, this is, like, spoiler heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we probably should have mentioned that before because I've I, think we, I, think, I think we already <laughs> said that Robin Williams <laughs> is the killer in this. <laughs> but but th- that's part of the interesting thing about the film is that Nolan reveals the killer pretty early on in the film. Yeah. Um, I mean, you kind of know. I well, I was like, "Where is Robin Williams?" I think yeah. he's in this film, and I was waiting. I was like, "I was like, oh, he's oh, the yeah, killer, he's the isn't killer. he?" As yeah, soon yeah, as yeah. I see him, I yeah. know he's the killer. Yeah. So if you had like no knowledge about the characters and the actors in this film and who they're playing, then it would be a little bit of a surprise, you know, getting the film. But you know what Nolan does in this movie is that he reveals the character like almost a little bit before the halfway point yeah. of the film, yeah. um, because this is working in tandem with. Uh, Al Pacino's character. So, so yeah, spoiler heavy. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, so we're going to get right into the recap, um, starting with Act 1. <clears throat> so in Act 1, we're in the small town um, called Nightmew, Alaska. Um, a 17-year-old called Kay Connell is found murdered. Uh, Los Angeles Police Department LAPD detectives Will Dormer and Hap Eckhart are sent to assist the local police with their investigation. They do so at the request of Police Chief Nyback, an old colleague of Dormer. Ali Burr, a young local detective, also is a fan of Dormer's investigative work, picks them up when they arrive. So actually, the first thing I want to point out here is that this is probably... I mean, with the exception of the Dark Knight trilogy, this is probably the the only linear film that Nolan has made. <laughs> mm. this, but rightfully well, so. I, was I mean, say Dunkirk's kind of linear. Well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Dunkirk's not really that linear. Two, um, two linear stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, I guess it's linear in terms of the events, but yeah. um, oh, Tenet. That's that's really linear, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> the most linear movie that he's done. No, it goes in um, one direction, then it linearly turns in the other direction. <laughs> spoilers for Tenet. <laughs> yeah, spoilers for Tenet. But I, I think it's also because this um, this movie's a remake, so yeah. you know it, yeah. it wouldn't make any sense if he was to make it like the Nolan way, which is like the non-linear version for all his films. Um, but that's the first thing that jumps out in this movie is that it's starting in chronological order mm. in terms of the events as well as the storytelling itself. Mm. So, you know, getting into Nightmute Alaska, um, we, we don't really know that it's going to be a place where it's sunlight mm. for however long, like forever. It seems like it. <laughs> I think, I think the, cause the, the, there's the mic drop moment where, 
he doesn't realize how late into the day it is. Yeah. It's like 10 p.m. And it's like, yeah. oh, like, should, should we get, I don't know if he says lunch or after yeah, I think tea that's or like, coffee. It's like, it's like, it's 10 p.m. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I think the first thing that they mentioned is not the coffee and tea part. It's the, it's when he says, oh, well, let's go to the school. Yes. And investigate, right. you know, let's, let's go, let's go, go investigate interview the kids. The yeah. kids yeah. <laughs> and then, and then he has a little bit of a Google, which I thought was kind of weird. Like it's, it's kind of a weird reaction for a character in a film, like maybe in real life. Yeah, sure. But I just, it, it was like one little odd moment where I was like, where they all kind of giggle. Yeah. I'm like, that's <laughs> kind of weird. But I, I know, I know they're giggling because, you know, like they probably expect that these detectives should know what Nightmute Alaska is going to be like when yeah. it's just like a hundred days of sunlight or whatever it is. But then the detectives from LA is like, why do we give it F? True. You know, like, it's like, True. Oh, we're just here doing our job. Yeah. I, I do, um, and I think I think right at the get go that um, there is a sense of placement of power that you come into this film with, where you're like, okay, Ellie's a young and up, up and coming cop. There's this this camaraderie between the chief and Al Pacino and Eckhart. There's that professionalism of the two of them, and you can tell that they work really well as a, as a partnership, like in terms of doing the job. Yeah. Uh, where you know Pacino takes the lead and Eckhart. Um, sorry, I should use his name. Dorman takes the lead and Eckhart. Um, just follows and when all the cops in town are like, oh, why would you do that? Or, oh, yeah. we, already, you know, we already checked the body out and the picture's enough. I was like, I'm going to see the body. Yeah. And you see this like sense of power and competency yep. shine right through at the beginning. I thought that was very cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what um, Nolan does really well in the beginning of this film is establishing the characters themselves mm. with a strong introduction for all of them. Mm. Like even down to Eckhart um, mm. herself, I love... Our first introduction is her introducing herself I mean, to Ellie. Ellie. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Is it Ellie? Yeah, you said I can't. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, sorry, Ellie. Ellie. You know, she's she's a huge fan of yeah. um, Dorma, mm-hmm. and it's 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 good to see her introduce herself as a fan. You can kind of see the expression, you know, when they're at that kind of plain yeah. dock, whatever it is. Yeah, that kind of fan girl moment. That kind of yeah, fan girl moment. I think that's really really great. Um, also, the one thing I noticed at the beginning, because I, I also am reminded that I, a lot of this does feel familiar, because um, I, I thought I, after rewatching it again, I'd forget the entire film. But you know, once the film starts rolling, a lot of it becomes familiar. But the thing that I noticed this time around was that um, uh, Dorma, he's tired already on the plane. Mm, he's and he uses <laughs> he, he uses. His, I did notice this because it's part of it is his chewing gum. And he says, uh, I chew gum when I can't sleep. Uh, yeah, so he, he says that later on and in the middle of the night and those scenes, the he's visceral scenes gum. at night yeah, where he's yeah, like trying right. to go to sleep. And he's chewing a lot of gum as so well. Much gum, yeah, because like, it becomes an sleep. obsession just, yep. because he can't deal with the, um, the insomnia. And so you can tell there's something weighing on his mind, but at that point in the film, you don't know what yet. We don't know what that is yet, which we find out a little bit later. It's actually... Like well, a couple of things after this, yeah. When they're sitting in the um, hotel, in like hotel, diner, yeah. And stuff. yeah. Um, so here, you know, back in Los Angeles, um, Eternal Affairs is investigating one of Dormer's past case. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flight to Alaska, Eckhart reveals that he is going to testify against Dormer in exchange for immunity. Dormer responds by noting that many criminal, many criminals who he helped to convict using questionable evidence could go free if their cases are reopened. So this is the dialogue scene where they're sitting in the hotel, you know, they've checked in, 
they're sitting in the diner because they're just about to have dinner or whatever. And before they could even order, um, they have that whole dialogue exposition between two of them discussing these cases mm. um, or, you know, discussing the the future of uh, uh, Dorma's career. So <clears throat> crazy thing is <clears throat> every time Nolan does these dialogue sequences, I always have to kind of really pay attention because <laughs> – because the the dialogue sequences they're not normal conversations no, like not. they they don't they're not like people sitting side by side like di- like especially LA cops they're not going to sit side by side talking like this I'm no. like this is not a normal conversation I uh, do you I, find that as well? well I I was like I was like I just got the gist of the conversation <laughs> I was like oh he's angry he didn't even have his dinner <laughs> they must not be getting on well <laughs> yes. I had to actually rewind it I, I like, rewound it as well at that point uh, and. Uh, funnily enough, watching this film, I've been at home, I had my soundproof headphones on because we have renovations going on all day underneath our apartment. And so watching this film, I felt like I had insomnia (laughs) because I had to concentrate so much harder. And like, thankfully, you know, Sony MHX 03, they are phenomenal. Little little plug there for some, some good (laughs) headphones. If you're, if you're a solo film watcher. Um, this is not a sponsor. Of this is not a sponsor, but you know, free sending. Anyways, uh, I, 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 um, I found that this, this, uh, film has this effect too, where again, like Memento, Memento used, uh, this disparate linear, non-linear storytelling to like make it feel like you had memory loss in this film. You feel tired as you watch this story progress. Mm. And, uh, there is, there is rotation of story and time of day, the flashbacks to um, the fog scenes, but also this um, eerie, always light. Um, yeah, the setting of this like small town and going back to places, it just makes you feel like you're losing sense of time and place. And yeah. I think even in, in those scenes, uh, the, the long dialogues is like, almost in a sense, I feel like it's part of it, you know, like yeah. Nolan pushes into dialogue scenes where you can, they're brilliantly acted, but their core concepts yeah. also have this little displacement. You don't fully understand the conversation as well in yeah. many ways. You start to understand more of it later on. Yeah, and this is just something that he does in the, in his films a lot of the time. Is that there's a lot of conversations happening between main characters, and you just don't really you can't follow the conversation because they're not normal conversations, yeah. but they're so interesting that if you don't pay close attention, you're going to miss something very key in some of the lines. Are you quoting the prestige? Oh, <laughs> oh man. I can't wait for that one. Man, I, but like, again, this, this, this is, um, he, he has a very visceral way of st- telling stories where, yeah. cause I do believe he flashes back to that conversation at points as he well. He does. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I, it, all of this just helped me notice something that we'll get to in a bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think this is where the the Nolanisms come into this film, is that it, it, although the whole story is told in a linear sense, he always jumps back to points that he's made in the beginning of the film, which especially this conversation that he has as as detective. So, you know, this this dialogue sequence is, like, it's it's a lot, so I had to kind of rewind it and, and sort of write notes. Mm. Like, I had to be very detailed with my notes mm. and what they're saying in this conversation. So, okay, so the gist of it is that there's there's a case that Dorma has been involved in, in the past and his, like, quote-unquote teammate is supposed, to, is supposed to be his partner, but he's going to go against him. Um, 
So yeah, this uh, that's that conversation goes down, and then from from here, Dorma cleverly attracts the murderer to the scene of the crime, but the suspect flees into the fog. Actually, we actually jumped quite a, a little bit here, but um, there is some investigation that that Dorma does on his behalf mm. on his own because he doesn't want to use the help of his detective pal. Um, yes, you know. Well, so, sorry, I, I actually don't think we've even mentioned what the case is that they're there for. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, the you murder case. Quite a bit, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, this movie's about a murder case, guys. Yeah. yeah. So what's the murder case? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the murder case is there. Seventeen years. I, I think I did oh, mention yeah, so it like, in, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. At, at the beginning. <laughs> but um, the other point that we should probably make here as well is that he he departs from his his detective partner yeah, like to pretty early on. Do some some. Solo records. So solo, yeah, some yeah. solo plays because he just doesn't well, like trust or he doesn't actually believe in his uh, partner anymore. Mm. So, um, so he he does his own kind of investigation. Dorma he attracts the murderer to the scene of the crime, but the suspect flees into the fog. Um, shooting one of the police officers through the leg, Dorma spots a figure in the fog and fires with his backup weapon. Uh, I actually didn't even know. Like, uh, this was something that I missed as well. I didn't notice that he had a backup weapon because, like, the time that that um, Ellie jumps in to do her own investigation to this and now there's, like, um, it, it was his way of sort of duping, I guess, the bullet for Eckhart. And I was like, how did he even do that? I was like, oh, okay, he had two guns. I didn't even pick that yeah, up. <laughs> I, didn't pick, I didn't pick that up at all. And I think there's something disconcerting about the fog scene that you're supposed to be trying True. to keep track of it. Yeah. And then you're like, you don't in the, in, in the moment. And then you have several times in the film where it reverts back to it. You have Ellie's doing her initial investigation. You have him playing through it in his mind. And then you have what he's doing to cover his tracks yeah. after shooting Eckhart. And, and so I didn't notice it at all that mm. he had a second weapon. Yeah. Because I, what I understand is once... So, and, and I think this is it following from the film. There is a chase through the fog, and during that chase, after one of uh, the town's officers is shot through the leg, he then pulls out his second gun, not his first gun. That's right. And so he's using his second gun, which I think is a little bit confusing because you would ask, why wouldn't he use his, his original gun? Mm. But maybe there is that sense for him where he's like, I want to be protected, mm. but I also want to cover my bases. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. And I remembered it being so distinct because earlier on in the scene, Eckhart and the other officers are talking and Eckhart men- mentions how they use Smith & Wessons, mm. but then he's not using a Smith & Wesson in this scene. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's using a .38, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, this, he's rushing over to the fallen figure. Dorma picks up the .38 pistol the suspect has dropped. He then discovers that he was... Sh- he has shot and killed Eckhart. Mm. So um, this is such a pivotal point for the character as well. Mm. And this is very early on in the movie, mm. um, which is fair enough. It's early on in the movie because we, we now discover that the rest of the film is him dealing with all these complications now, yeah. especially hiding the fact that he killed, whether intentionally or unintentionally, he's actually not sure because this is the great thing about the theme of insomnia that kicks in eventually a little bit later. Um, the, so I thought this scene was really well done, especially, I love the way they shot this scene. I mean, the way they shot the whole film is pretty amazing. This is going back to Wally Fister being the, the DOP, but 
this fog scene, I know it would have been a bitch to to film. Yeah. Um, because they're using real fog. I mean, not real fog as in like they waited for fog to show up, but they're using proper fog effects to film this. And it's really hard to do that mm. technically. So it, the whole scene looked awesome and it, and you feel claustrophobic. It's visceral. And, and when someone pops out of the fog, you like you have that, oh, like that sense of dread. Who sense is of this? Dread, yeah. And you feel as close to them as, as the character does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, plus I, the rocks and slipping over the rocks. Yeah. There's, this, there's one other scene we'll talk about later, which is like an action moment. Okay. Um, okay. Could, could I, um, like tra- track back to like just prior to the fog scene, yeah. because I think this also plays into it and plays into an element to who Dormer is, yeah. is that he cares about justice. He wants to put away criminals. Yeah. And you already know that his, like his issues in the investigation is actually around his planting of evidence mm-hmm. in order to put away criminals. He know, and, and you get, you get a proper, um, not Ex- long at the end. Yeah, yeah, we get a proper like exposition of that right but at the end. Yeah. Early on in the film, how he first attracts um, uh, Robin Williams' character to the site where the fog scene takes place mm. is through him planting evidence, and he does it so second naturely, and in a way which everyone respects and, and yeah. sees. So he he they find after doing a big um, search through town, they find um, uh, Kay's Kay's backpack. Yeah, and he goes right. through a quick search of it all, mm. and they say, "Do you want us to like you know take all the evidence and, and mark it up?" And he's like, "Nope, fill the backpack re- up with any books. Doesn't really matter, mm. and just put it back where you found it, and yep. say that we'll you know put out um we'll we'll you know we'll put out a reward to anyone who finds this girl's backpack." Yeah, and it's just like such a clever little moment for him as a detective, which everyone sees and respects. Yeah, but it's also a moment where he's happy to. Um, tamper with evidence yep and that's the first piece of clue that we get that he's a little bit of a corrupt cop but he's a cool cop but it's like oh yeah because he's just yeah he's he's like he's like someone that i don't see yeah you're with him on that yeah i don't see any problem with that that's so clever and he ends up finding the the, you know the murder from it but then you have this second moment and this is where you know it's almost like cluedo the items are so important and you see the gun on the ground you see him pick it up Mm. You then follow from this point into Act Two. It's like, well, what does he do with this? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I was like, that's a really nice little the, the planting of evidence. No, yeah, yeah, and yeah. It mixed with this sense of justice. Yeah, uh, and those two have a relationship. Yeah, evidence and justice. Yeah, you're definitely yeah. right about that. Like, that's actually a really good part of his character, and, and also some clues to the character because he's sitting on the fence of doing something legal and also legal in a yeah. sense of like he's he's following the evidence and he's not necessarily. 100% tampering with it. No, yeah. But because they've already assessed it. They've know? already like assessed everyone's it. Everyone's there to see him do that. So it's kind of like after the fact, and that's why it becomes like an aspiring moment for, especially for Ali. She's like, oh, cool, that's great. So clever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So clever. But mixed with like that, taking notes as well. Yeah, yeah and yeah, then yeah. him still giving her advice as you go through, which I love. Like, I love that mentor relationship that they yeah, have. It's, it's kind of like the apprentice and the, um, and the, the master. Sensei. Yeah, the sensei. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of that element, which is great. Um, yeah, so that's a that's an awesome scene. The whole fog sequence and it's it's very claustrophobic, and it does make you feel like you're closer to the murderer while while also still feeling apart. Mm. Um, uh, sorry, distant to the murderer, mm. the suspect. So, because of Eckhart's opening uh, pending testimony, Dorma knows the internal affairs will never believe the shooting was an accident. So he claims that Eckhart was shot by the suspect. Mm-hmm. So this is the biggest thing that he does as a 
um, detective, as far as the audience is aware, as us as the viewers, is the biggest thing that makes him like 100% corrupt because we yeah. still don't know the details of the previous cases that he's been involved in because yeah. um, that doesn't get revealed until later on. Um, so uh, he does. He doesn't mention that he has the .38 pistol. Burr is in charge of the shooting investigation and her team finds the point thirty-eight caliber bullet that hit the officer. So that night, Dorma walks into an alley and fires the point thirty-eight pistol into an animal carcass, then retrieves and cleans the bullet. At the morgue, the pathologist hands him the bagged bullet retrieved from Eckhart's body, but she is unfamiliar with its type. Dorma leaves the switches... Uh, leaves and switches the .38 bullet from for the nine millimeter slug from Eckhart's body. It's funny, you know. Every time like there's something to do with bullets and casings and and the corrupt cops like doing some kind of tampering and switching of things, I'm always kind of confused. Like I'm like, how does the bullet even work? Like I mean, yeah. Like is it like like what's the difference between a case and the bullet? But this is just kind of <laughs> the absence of my knowledge yeah. of like guns and bullets and whatever. <laughs> so I, I'm always kind of like, okay, I get what he's doing, but like, I don't know the sequence in which he's doing it. in. And yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's all these kind so of the, like, like, and so at this point, this was him switching out a bullet from the gun of the murderer because the, oh, of um, Robin Williams character. Yeah. Cause Robin Williams character left the gun there on purpose. Yeah. And which we don't find out. Which we don't find later. out yeah, until yeah. later on. But then, you have this, and 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 it's it's a really clever little tra- um, transition where he's taking advantage of what he finds. Like he feels sick after shooting Eckhart, so he goes and vomits yep. in an alleyway. Sees a dog right. there, yeah. and he thinks, "I have the gun. I could use that gun." Because I think he hides it away at first. The murderer's um, Robin Williams' character's gun. Uh, under he the hides it in the floorboards, and then he realizes, like, "Hang on a second, I can use this," and so he goes back. Yeah. In the middle of the night where it's still broad daylight. It makes it look so much dodgier as well. I know. Because he's walking through the empty streets and it's only empty because it's the middle of the night. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. But I, I also had to like kind of think to myself because this is the great thing that keeps you in the story as a viewer is because there's never a nighttime sequence or, mm. you know, there's no like darkness. The only darkness is there's no darkness. in the tunnel and in the fog, you know? like Yeah. And also in the apartment, I guess, is the only kind of darkness mm. that we have. Yeah, sure. um, but... Yeah, like, <laughs> I had to think for a moment. I was like, why is there nobody walking the streets? I was like, oh, I guess this is, like, nighttime or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, how is he, like, shooting this gun, like, in the middle of the street? <laughs> everyone's asleep. <laughs> yeah, everyone's asleep. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, all that kind of stuff, I always get a little bit confused. I'm like, okay, so why does he need to shoot the bullet again? It's because he needs – because I guess when they go to analyze for ballistics, mm. it has to show that the bullet was shot. Oh, so, you when know, they, so I think I think at this like in this in this case it seems that all they can really gain is an understanding of what the weapon was. Yeah. So at this point they don't know what weapon they're not Robin even suspecting has. Yeah. Right. But they knew that he had a gun, and yeah. they assumed that he took it with him. Yeah. When in fact he left it. Behind. He left it behind. So yeah. this is the second. This is the second evidence tampering that you get. Yeah. Which is... But this is like the most obvious tampering that we get. And it's the most the, like black and white one. And you get. watch him so methodically tamper. <laughs> and it's to cover his own base and yeah. not to help with the investigation. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So then over the next few days, Dormer is plugged by a uh, plugged or plagued by insomnia, uh, bought on his guilt over killing Eckhart and exacerbated by the perpetual daylight. Um, Dorma starts receiving anonymous phone calls from the killer who claims to have witnessed Dorma kill his partner 
when the police learned that Kay was a fan of local crime writer Walter Finch, Dorma breaks into Finch's apartment in the nearby village of Umkumuits. <laughs> well said. Uh, yeah, thank <laughs> you. That was perfect. That was like perfectly executed. Um, you know, in, in this part here, when he's receiving anonymous phone calls, I think this is like one of the clever things that Nolan does for his suspects, you know, for like the villain of the film, for the um, antagonist of the film, is that it's, it's like early engagement with the antagonist, but not mm. just with him, but he's engaging with the very person that's after him. Um, you know, yeah, a film and, that could have done well with that would have been um, the latest James Bond, where you had a bit more interaction with your antagonist uh, yeah. earlier. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that antagonist. <laughs> Great no, actor. Absolutely, Great yes. actor, but yeah. character was pretty weak. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're right. Like having a sense of connectivity to the yeah. antagonist early and that relationship's already starting to form. And it's yeah. uncomfortable too. Uncomfortable. You know, you're, you're, not, you're, not so, you're not used to having this kind of involvement with your suspects or your antagonists and to this degree it's so personal it's on a phone you know the the conversation is very strange and like so warm and like it's so warm (laughs) i honestly uh, it reminded me of castle did you you ever watch castle with nathan fillion no so the 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 core concept of, of castle for those that haven't watched it for river is a murder mystery writer like a international bestseller who for initially in the show for research for his books, he just starts coming alongside uh, the NYPD, but then or LAPD. I can't remember which one. I'm sure people will remind me. Uh, <laughs> and and then they start utilizing him basically as a like as as counsel because he's so in tune with villains because he writes them all the time. And I, I think there was this sense with Robin Williams' character. He's kind of like an evil version of Castle. He's like <laughs> really comfortable and understands how murder mysteries work because he writes them all the time and he seems so like chill about it all i probably did put that on my watch list it sounds pretty interesting and i like nathan fillion oh yeah you'd love it it's a really great it's an easy watch kind of show but they solve cases and nathan fillion's always key in it because he understands more about the murderers than anyone else does he he play a really good zeta there like, what was that? I mean, I think he, he suits the role of a detective, Nathan Thillian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the show is like a detective who's not a detective. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'd be so good at that. Oh, you'd love it, man. Yeah, it's great. There's even a Firefly reference. What's the Australian <laughs> thing that I'm thinking of? The Castle. The Castle? Oh, it's The Castle. Okay. Is yeah. that a, that's a comedy, right? The Castle is a comedy about okay. a dad and his family trying to uh, keep their uh, house secure from the airlines. Like Eric Banner in it or something. Yeah. Uh, what's, oh, man. I'm Isn't it Eric Banner? No. <laughs> yeah. The Australian actor. Um, I think Castle. it is Eric Banner. No, was there. Yeah. The guy that played Hulk, right? Yeah, I know, I know you're thinking of Eric Banner, but The Castle, the, um, the dad is this guy. Oh, what's yeah. the one that Eric Banner's in then? It's like Castle. Michael Caton. Um, oh, that's the like that's the one that I'm thinking of. Eric Banner is in a in a TV series or something called is. The Castle. Castle, Eric Banner. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going crazy here, folks. <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's it's yeah. I don't know. He's, I think that's kind of what made him famous oh. um, in Australia, at least not oh, international. <laughs> Castle. Yeah, there you go. No, that's the castle. Oh, that's the castle. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, look, Eric Banner. 
Oh, he yeah. was in it. Oh, there you go. Oh, so it is the same one. Yeah. I apologize. Oh, anyway, yeah. that's a little <laughs> bit of a sidetrack. <laughs> anyway, um, um, but yeah. we're jumping back to our jumping cast. back to our cast. <laughs> that's a little bit of a sidetrack. Um, Finch arrives at home, realizes the police are present, and evades Dorma after a chase. Dorma returns to Finch's apartment and plants the point thirty-eight in Finch's apartment to frame him. Mm. So he plants him in the floorboards here. Um, it's interesting when he goes to this apartment, uh, to his apartment, is that I, I think that this is going to be a point in the story where um, they actually engage in person because considering that we've been introduced to the suspect pretty early on, it's like, mm. oh, well, are they going to have physical engagement here, which they don't really. Um, it's not until... Like you know that chase sequence happens, which is such a crazy, crazy. chase sequence. That's, like that's what I was. I was, I was like dying on the inside watching that part. <clears throat> but that's um, nuts. you know that this right. um him his apartment, and I'm already there. Yeah, and you yeah, see yeah, the guy. Yeah. It's like, well, now he can't come back to his apartment. It's but then he calls cool. him. Oh, dude. Um, it's very calculated too. Yeah. Like you know, for oh, Robin yeah. Williams, you must be tired. Like use mm. the towels. I couldn't sleep for ages when I first moved to this town. Like, exactly. Okay. He's a very smart dude. Like, uh, that's what we notice about this suspect is that he's a very, very intelligent guy. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, he plants the point thirty eight to frame Finch. Finch contacts Dorma and arranges a meeting on a ferry. Uh, Finch wants to help in shifting suspicion to Kay's abusive uh, boyfriend, Randy Stitz, and in return will stay silent about Eckhart shooting. So this is when the sabotage happens. This is when, like, sort of the double-crossing, sabotage, all the things you can think about to try and hide your own um, secrecy from everybody else knowing because they've both got secrets that nobody can know about. Mm. And so they they create a conflicting deal with each other that's both very uh, crippling for his career but also crippling for his life, like just for him as a person. To do this. To, to do this. To be manipulated so easily yeah. so yeah 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 and it, and it, it really yeah. disarms our our and our, our protagonist it yeah. really disarms him i guess it, it reminds you that he feels desperate yeah <laughs> and i think up until that point he's he's so competent at what he can do yeah and his intent is to put people away that suddenly you see him operating completely at a self selfish level mm-hmm. he doesn't really um he doesn't, and, 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 and part of it, and this, this is where, here we go, another TV show that this reminds me of is Dexter, where you have this person who can think like and act like and also see injustice. Uh, he, he can think like the villain that when he early on is uh, uh, interrogating Randy, he like, he just really just hates his kid. Mm. <laughs> and you can see it and he's like, you're a piece of trash and you beat your girlfriend. And I think when you have that, that kind of uh, like that kind of energy to him, you can just see it ticking over in his mind. Yeah, maybe I'll just listen to Finch. Yeah, maybe we can just you know frame this young kid. But what I find hard, and I think this is the hard part, is that he's in some way still disgusted by Finch, mm. and yet he can't help but want to go along with him. And there is a change, like there is a transition point for that. Hey, which we'll get to later, which I think is built into 
Finch's confession over the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Which but, is such a smart oh scene as well because he actually records the whole confession oh as well. Gosh, yeah. That's uh, that's actually something I didn't expect him to, to be doing. And when he shows, what does the recorder, he say? He's like, uh, um, so that you keep your word. Um, he uses. Oh, he says a word that. Um, uh, insurance policy. I insurance think is yeah. my insurance. This is my insurance. Whatever, you'll do yeah. what you promised to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is great. I mean, you know, every suspect should have a insurance policy. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a classic thing that you'd have in everything. Um, yeah, you know, like a little bit on Randy because because we probably uh, can't talk about a lot of the side characters, but Randy as a character, you know, played by uh, Jonathan Jackson, he's a character that we get introduced to early on in the film when. Um, uh, when Dorma is looking for his first potential suspect, you mm. know, um, going to interview Randy at the school, mm. and this was um, this was also another big piece of him being a very good detective. You know, one of the biggest skills that he has, which is interrogating yeah. suspects. Yeah, you know, and he does it to like this sixteen-year-old, <laughs> which is scary. He does it to Randy, so and then he does it to her best um, Kate. Oh yeah, that's well, actually a really intense. scary, scary part too. But you know, this is like the first time that we see him in action as a detective, mm. um, and one of the great skills that he has, uh, which is interrogation, and and it's it's even more telling that he can do it to a 16 year old because you know a lot of 16 year olds would be you know very dismissive and very arrogant and especially this type of 16 year old which is kind of like an archetype yeah, 16 year old punk punk and like you know kind of goth or whatever yeah um you know doesn't give a shit about the world or anything and, yeah. and has a very dismissive attitude towards anything but you know he manages to get under his skin <laughs> and <He> really does. <clears throat> And then when we jump back to the, because I always was thinking at that time of the film as well, is are we going to jump back to the Randy character eventually, which is what we do here yeah. halfway through the film, is that we jump back to it because they're going to use Randy as like the guy that's going to be the number one suspect. And hide the weapon. And hide the weapon in his, in his uh, house, his apartment. The in whatever oil? that is. Yeah. Is that his like hideout or whatever? Yeah. Like, I don't know, his hangout spot. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, Yeah. So, so this whole part is really about them um, pinning Randy as the suspect um, so that they can hide their own secrecy. <clears throat> Dorma gives evidence, oh, sorry, Dorma gives advice on handling police questioning. After Finch leaves Dorma on the ferry, he shows the detective a tape recorder he used to record the conversation. Mm -hmm. So this was his insurance policy to make sure that Dorma follows through with the plan. Because if he doesn't, he's going to reveal the real truth behind who killed Eckhart. Mm. Finch calls Dorma and tells him that Kay's death was an accident, a quote-unquote accident. He beat her to death and in a fit of rage after she laughed at his sexual advances. The next day, that's it was kind yeah, of, it was so, that scene is freaking hectic. It's pretty, it's pretty messy. That scene. Yeah. The next day, Finch gives false testimony at the police station when Finch claims Randy has a gun. Dormo realizes Finch has discovered his plan and has hidden it at Randy's home. Randy is arrested when the gun is found at the house. Finch asks Burr to come to his lake house the next day to collect letters indicating that Randy abused Kay. So it's such a heavy mid part to the to the film or the midpoint of the film. Yeah. This so, is where Finch starts to really move. Yeah, yeah. Finch is like moving at, at a pace that you don't really expect, but also the other characters are also moving at a pretty quick pace as well, especially our antagonist slash 
protagonist too. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, he's yeah. kind of like antagonist protagonist, right? Kind of Especially at this point. Follow, yeah. Um, well, like, yeah. <laughs> Finch's fin- Finch's movements with firstly the planting being in cahoots with um, with Dorma and and Dorma's like being really in cahoots with him. Like he takes on this personable nature to him. He's like, yeah. no, 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 this is how you should, you know, you shouldn't come across too strong, but make sure you don't lie that you don't know the girl. And, oh, do you have any evidence? Okay, well, like, yeah, you should put it forward, like letters and all of that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> and and there's this really, uh, it's really unsettling how quickly it happens. Mm. But I think from the, the fairy scene onwards, and I think the fairy was such a fascinating moment where it's like, wow, like, Finch and, and Finch is entrusting himself in a sense to Dorma's power by taking a ferry with him. Like it's like yeah. we're trapped on a boat together. So yeah. we can have this conversation. It's it's such a great idea. I mean, yeah. this comes back to just Nolan. It's and another ferry scene ideas. from Nolan. Oh yeah. We get that ferry scene also in um Tenet. Oh no, Dark Knight. <laughs> oh, and Tenet. <laughs> the Dark Knight and Tenet. Uh, yeah. He loves his fairies. Loves I mean, it's fairies. it's a great way to ostracize okay. your characters, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you're cornering them without actually cornering them physically. Yeah. And I, I think it was so surreal because the last time they'd seen each other was the chase on the logs. My goodness. And oh, the last time yeah. before that was in the fog. So with each point, there's this sense of closeness mm. and warmth of engagement because mm. the next scene after that is them at a table yeah. faking an interrogation that's right um but it's funny faking the interrogation turns into like uh a dormer not really faking it because he's taking it so personal because yeah. it's getting to him it's really getting to him it's and this is where his his insomnia. character <laughs> yeah his insomnia is like kicking in but it's also it's getting to him as a character and he can't He's being really tested in this moment because mm. he's he's trying to do the right thing as a cop, mm. but he knows what's on the line. Yeah. Um, so I think it's great that we get to see the very passionate, like legal cop moment. Yeah, but he's also he also has to be quickly reminded that oh shit, I have to actually like fabricate this whole thing so that I can get away with the murder. And what what he uses really ke- cleverly here is everything that Ellie knows about him about being thorough. Yeah, and he uses that as a way to say don't go and suspect Finch straight away. <laughs> it's like oh no, like make yeah. sure you go back and do your homework on these yeah. things. And like his biggest mistake early on is telling Ellie to go back and do her homework on the Eckhart yep. case, which exactly. is. Oh, man. I mean, and this is this is the great thing about um, his performance, Al Pacino's performance, is that it's so I, I can imagine it would be so difficult. You you write this character for someone, and you start reading this character and what this character is supposed to do in this film. Mm. All the objectives, you have to be a high performing character, mm. high caliber, and no wonder why they got someone like Al Pacino. Oh man, yeah, because he has to juggle so many different personalities and so many different motives. Yeah, so he's like, um, he's again, like I said, good cop, bad cop, insomnia. Which are these three? Yeah, am I playing right now? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And he's he's also like disorientated, trying to play these different roles. And who's in the room? Yeah, oh, Ellie's here. I got to be more careful. I got to be oh, mindful Finch about what I say. Here. Yeah. He's like, you know, he's playing me too. So yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I think uh, it really comes to a head when he gets to trying to unplant the evidence yeah. in Randy's place, yeah. trying to get to the gun before. Trying to get else. to the gun, yeah. Exactly. And he uses this moment like, I'm tired. I need to leave yeah. and go have a nap. But he's actually running to the to get the evidence before. Running to get the evidence. It. Yeah, yeah. And, and that then- moment when he jumps through, he comes through the door just after they've been through, after they've found the oh evidence. My and God, oh, man. good thing you're here. And you're like, oh, my God. It's such God. a well-directed scene because I'm like, oh, my gosh, surely he's going to get caught. Uh, surely. <laughs> but then he's like, he's sitting in the room and 
And there's, there's that moment where they say, I, I think it's like, uh, well, I don't know, what do the other cops say? Oh, we found it, we found it. And then that other cop that goes to open the door where he's standing behind, he he, he lets go because, you know, they found the, yeah, the weapon yeah. or whatever. And then he walks through like so casually and you can see that he's so experienced and like playing these different personalities and mm. playing these kind of different hats of being good cop, bad cop, illegal cop, legal cop. So it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, his performance is pretty outstanding in this movie. But then he, like, and this again, it goes back to the internal affairs and um, the issues that he's having back in LA where he, and he says it later on, it's like, they're not real cops. I'm a real cop. That's I right. actually do the job. And he does it, I think, on the phone at the bar. Uh, and the bartender overhears him, or the hotel right. manager overhears him. Yeah, but um, man, that's good stuff. Right? Good stuff, man. <laughs> good on you, Al Pacino. We want to see you come back to movies. Come on, come on. Yeah, <laughs> um, so we, we move on from here to Burr returns to the scene of Eckhart's death and finds a nine millimeter shell casing. So this is when her investigation starts to come into fruition. She's getting more answers to what she's investigating. And by the way, I, uh, we actually just didn't we kind of glossed over this before is that um, Ali Burr, her, her objective in this movie is to now investigate that whole thing between not, not between the characters, but, but Eckhart's death, that's her whole goal. Um, So that's a little bit of a surprise for any of the audience members, you know, at the same time is that, we think that everybody's on one case, but in fact, there's actually two stories happening at the same time. There's two cases. There's like an investigation upon an investigation, really, mm. that happens. And so I think that's what I like about Ali Burr's character. Um, although I, I would have loved to see a bit more of her yeah. being in that investigation mode. Um, I think there are times where we we... I feel like I miss her, miss seeing her, because she's a very charismatic character and she's like the only good cop in this entire thing. Yeah, because it, it's interesting because there is a little play and it, there's a warmth to him. I think, is his name Fred, the uh, the other kind of lead cop? Oh, um, the guy that gets shot? The guy that gets shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Fred. Fred, Fred yeah. Doyer. So Fred I remember um, with with him, he, um, yeah, his, his character, he... Um, he and Ellie really are the kind of two standouts, but you have this real sense of the fraternity of this this team of yeah. police, yeah. and you actually find their competency really um, like it's it's quite it's quite endearing to them as a team. Where yeah. they're like, yeah, we're we're just really trying to do our jobs well, and yet we have these LA detectives here, and we we want to prove to them that we're very competent in what we do. That's right, and I, I think. Um, yeah, you're right. There is that sense that you, you you're losing Ellie a lot of the time from the core chase, but then you also have those moments where it's like, oh yeah, they found the evidence That's right. quickly because they're yeah. good cops and like they're trying to do their job well and they're they're by the books. And Ellie even taking on the Eckhart murder, like you're like, oh yeah, like these guys don't mess around. Like there was yeah. a death in their town. Yeah. There's been a, a second shooting during mm-hmm. the middle of another investigation. Of course, they put someone on it. Yeah, and I, I like that. Um, and that's what's clever about doing it in a small town like this because because now you can actually tell a fruitful story about the differences, the clear differences between good people and bad people yeah. because it's a town that's never experienced such crimes before yeah. or never experienced a murder. I think they they mentioned that in, the, in this movie. It's like hot fuzz. Mine is so much a hot fuzz. <laughs> yeah, true, like, that's uh, right. Actually, uh, coming good. to our legacy series and Edgar Wright directors. Yeah. <laughs> story. Man. Doing the, the Quinetta trilogy, trilogy would be fun. That'd be Scott so Pilgrim. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um yeah, yeah. So sorry, so yeah, going back into Act Three, Ellie 
Ellie finds the shell casing. Yeah, she finds the shell casing and um, um, she reads her own case from an investigation Dorma was involved in and learns he has carried a 9mm the whole time. So this is another big reveal for Ellie's character is that she's she remembers after being such a fangirl for so long, she remembers how he actually operates as an investigator. Mm. And so this is actually also another way of us knowing that although Dorma as a character is almost like pitch perfect and executing his job, even when it comes down to tampering evidence, he he doesn't realize that that's going to give him away. It's, it's going to give him away as well. It's going to show his hand. Yeah. And, and that's what Ali's character does. She just, does some homework on like what he was like as a cop in previous times. Mm. So I think this is a great reveal to to her like objective in the story. To her competence. Into yeah, competence. Uh, so Realzek uh, carried a nine millimeter, leading to leading her to suspect that he shot Eckhart. Meanwhile, on his last night staying in the hotel, Dorma confides in the hotel owner, Rachel Clement, about the internal investigations, uh, sorry, internal affairs investigation. He fabricated evidence to help convict a pedophile he was certain was guilty of murdering a child and who have walked away if Eckhart had testified. Mm. So, okay, so th- this, this whole part um, here, um, when he's, it's, it's, pretty much like a massive exposition monologue between him and the hotel owner, which I can see the reason why she has a, a role at all in this movie. Cause this is actually one of my pet peeves of the film is that there's some characters in here that which like kind of wasted. They didn't really need to be in this film. Yeah. And she's not exactly like a unknown actor. She's kind of well known, especially like in the nineties. Yeah. So she'd be pretty expensive yeah. <laughs> to bring in this film to just be the person that, he just tells us the story. And yeah, I mean, she didn't really have anything to contribute, even in her like listening. She just had her, well, early on, you just have her sense of connectivity to Eckhart. Right. Um, just because he's a polite and friendly person and yeah. dies. And so yeah. she's kind of just shocked by it. Yeah. I guess you get that, almost that you're following cops this whole time, aside from the two kids that are in the investigation. You have yeah. here someone who's just a part of the town. Yeah. And maybe that's that's all she needs to be. But yeah, you're right. I found it quite jarring that she'd be the person he'd tell everything to. Yeah. I thought it'd be to Ellie, to be honest. Like Right. Yeah, right when I was yeah. like, oh, it, it probably would have been have a breaking point. I thought he'd explain it all to Ellie and Ellie would be conflicted yeah. by it because But yeah. you get you do get that. It's it, it would have yeah, I mean at the, at the very end when they're having that moment, the yeah. last sort of moments that he has taking his last breath. But um yeah spoilers. <laughs> yes. Well hey, we already spoiled well, it spoiled already. It, so it's all good. <laughs> um you know, yeah, that just that whole thing of, of like visiting the hotel character as well. Mm. It's like, oh wow, that's right, you're in this movie, and we're just gonna dump the entire like thing on yeah, you right now, yeah. and you're gonna be the person listening and sort of acting like the viewers as well. In a many, in many ways, she becomes the jury. She is just a common citizen. True, she's yeah. here to hear what he has to say. Yeah, and his confession isn't too anyone that can do anything against it's it. It's not to anybody official, yeah. but it's to someone it's that can to the public. It's to the public, yeah. Well, what did you want me to do? And and I think this is where you get to Dorma as a grizzled cop who's been for 30 years putting away the villain. And this is where I feel that very Dexter kind of sense yeah. of, of his character, where it's like he has this ability to do something dodgy, yeah. but he's doing it for the right reasons against mm. the right people. Yeah, He's never trying to take this out on others until you yeah. find this moment where... Actually, in this instance, he's putting away a young kid instead of helping 
put away Finch. Yeah. And that's where you're like, no, that's, that's wrong. That's like completely wrong. Yeah. And, and so this is when he, he completely departs from who he is as a person. Like mm. his humanity get, is crumbled under the weight of so much stress. Mm. And insomnia. Um, <laughs> and insomnia at the same time. And he's. I love but, when she turns the light on. He's like, it's not. It's. What are you talking about? It's yeah, dark in it's here. It's dark in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he looks so. I was like, when I saw that and she turns on the light, you're like, oh my gosh, like it is bright. <laughs> it is very, very bright. And it's so artificial that lighting, yeah. too. Um, and this is also the first time that we don't see him chewing gum anymore mm. because he's. Um, which is a great piece of um, tool to give to a character if they're so used to relying on that particular tool. They're so disarmed at this point of the story that you know he doesn't have that tool anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a bit of shock value, I guess, because you know she's sort of playing the viewer, like us watching this film. So it's, it's, it does add a little bit of shock value, but it's kind of like a wasted character. And I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever. I, mean, <laughs> I don't think you needed to be in this movie at all. <laughs> um, great, great monologue and also Great monologue, um, yeah. the flash i think it is at this point that you have the flashback to what we've been seeing this whole time where assumedly after seeing uh finch's character cleaning Kay's body and yeah. um, you see what he would have done after after the murder you yeah. actually have been having this other flashback which you assume the blood, the blood stain yeah the blood yeah. stain and um this person whose face you can't see cleaning yeah, something yeah that the whole time you thought that was Finch doing something exactly. that's to do with this case, but actually that it's to do him. with the case with the pedophile where Dom is planting evidence. Yeah. I thought that was, that was insane. Yeah. Like I was shocked because I forgot that that had been, I forgot that was in the film. Yeah. I mean, um, and, and when we when we see it at the beginning of the movie, you just think, Oh yeah, your, your automatic movie. response is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's to do with the murder case, yeah. but it's a flashback. And this is coming back to the Nolanism and this is what makes, Nolan's such a great filmmaker is that he's he's able to tie in all of the pieces of the puzzle that could have been loose ends if you were to give it up to other filmmakers mm. that are not as competent as writing stories this tight, mm. you know. Um, I was, like, shocked. I was like, oh, my God, that was him the whole time. The whole time yeah. <laughs> he was planting the blood in the underwear or whatever it is, and right? It was This, this um, like, if this is a very Nolan-y thing. I think this comes to full fruition in a movie like Inception, which is all about the details. Yeah. Um, you see it in other movies like The Prestige, but I think in this film, it's it's kind of the start of a concept for him. I don't think That's it's right. as well landed. Mm. Um, because Tenet has it as well with, um, like, uh, uh, I forget her name, the actress, the really tall one, but diving into the water off the, oh, off yeah. the boat. Like, Aussie chick. Aussie, oh, the Aussie chick. The, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so my, one of my friends is going to kill me that I forgot her name. I'll come back. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I, um, I, I think that that little moment, again, it pairs really well. And he does this well again with his monologues mm. where he wants to keep it a visceral experience for the audience. Yeah. Where suddenly you're putting two and two together. He tells this story that this, um, this moment that we've been seeing is him planting evidence yeah. again. Uh, and again, it's that line between what's sense of justice and planting evidence, which I think, yeah. again, is that theme. What does it mean to do right? Yeah. Mm. Yep, 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 yep. So, um, you know, after after this whole part... Elizabeth Debicki. <laughs> oh, yeah, Debicki, Debicki. There we go. Yeah, she's Australian. She's a local actress doing very well in the film industry. Um, so after that, you know, Dorma learns that Burr has gone to Finch's. Uh, he finds Kay's letters in Finch's apartment and realizes that Finch intends to kill Burr. He learns of Finch's lake house and rushes there. Um, 
At the house, Finch knocks Burr unconscious just as Dormer arrives and takes Burr's gun. Dormer is too disorientated and from lack of sleep to fight off Finch. Burr, receive, uh, Burr revives and saves Dormer. While Finch escapes, Burr reveals she knows Dormer shot Eckhart and he admits that he, he is no longer certain if, he were, if it was an accident. So this is when insomnia comes back to the story because I think mm-hmm. there is a moment especially like in the midpoint of the film that what we haven't really visited the whole idea of insomnia being right. a part of this film, but this comes back in, especially in this final act where insomnia has played our main character, our lead this whole time. This whole time and it's like, it's wearing down. His face looked like it's, it was going to fall off. There's a something. point where they were getting a drink in the bar. Oh the my God. And he's just like, he's like, yeah, he's like I'm super gone. dead. He's yeah. like, Gone. And Ellie at that point, so like, she's like, I know you did. I know you did. I this. know you killed Eckhart. She's but so good at doing it as yeah, well. Yeah, it's like, and and he's just so tired. He doesn't. Give he a doesn't shit, even like, realize. I'm pretty sure he doesn't even realize that she's figured it out. No, no way. You know, because yeah, he's just like gone. he's too far gone. And I, I like that Nolan didn't choose to go to take the lens behind the character's eyes to make it so obvious that he's. That he's like tired, yeah, you know, that yeah. he's like, you know, he's pretty much dead at this point. I just like how it's all portrayed in his performance. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal. And, and I'm like, man, Al Pacino, like, it's did you a- actually like not sleep this whole thing? Like, did you did you physically do it? Just to, just start yelling at people on the set. <laughs> I would not be surprised, actually. You're such a brilliant actor. Oh, man. man. Kills it in this I movie. mean, that's the kind of method acting that, man, it's so hard to do that stuff. And, you know, guys like Daniel Day-Lewis is very good at that yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, yeah, in that whole bar scene, you know, they're all celebrating and they're, they're glad to just, like, close the case and whatever. And and at this point, you know, Dorma thinks he's going to get away with it, but really he doesn't actually get away with it. So mm-hmm. that's, like, just before the part that I just mentioned here when when um, Ellie gets kidnapped. Oh, no, get, oh, does she get kidnapped? No, she... Ellie goes... She, she goes finds, to the house. She finds yeah, that's right. That, um, she connects the dots with Finch, which yeah. is, again, her being an awesome detective. She's yeah, figured she's out just doing good both, detective work. Yeah, both... Both cases. Both cases. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was Finch. It was Finch the whole time. And so, it was the dress, wasn't it? Like, finding the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 like, yeah She, yeah, she yeah. was like, this doesn't add up with this writer who bought her nice things. And, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, Bert reveals... Uh, she knows Dorma shot actually, yeah, but if we went through that. Um, so from his shed, Finch shoots at them with a gunshot and Burr returns fire with Dorma's gun while Dorma sneaks around to Finch's location. After a scuffle in which Dorma grabs Finch's shotgun, Finch shoots Dorma with Burr's gun and Dorma shoots and kills Finch with a shotgun. Burr rushes to the fatally wounded Dorma and confronts him by affirming that Eckhart's shooting was accidental mm. and then moves to throw away the nine millimeter shell casing to preserve Dorma's reputation. Dorma stops her, however, telling her to quote unquote, not lose her way as he had. Dorma has his last words, which was like Just the most sleep. brilliant way to finish off the character's arc. Just let me sleep. Um, and dies just as Burr, Burst puts the bullet casing back into the evidence bag. Mm. So this is um this is kind of like that that perfect dying sequence yeah. that yeah. you need for a character. It's the cathartic ending. It's the cathartic ending that you want in a story like this, which mm. is kind of 
um, unfamiliar for Christopher Nolan. Yeah, like, you don't really I, I get a like, lot of cathartic oh, cool. endings. I, he, yeah, I think uh, there's a there's a line, and it's something that's been interesting in films lately, where uh, there is a poor payoff to what people get in a story. So particularly with villains and minor antagonists that's having right. a moment of um, disproportionate justice done against them. Mm. So uh, the one <laughs> one example that I remember um, yeah, watching a video essay on was uh, in the uh, the Jurassic World, the beginning of the new trilogy with Chris Pratt. There's like the nanny of the rich kids that come to the park and when all the dinosaurs start going crazy, there's this really long scene of her brutally being killed. <laughs> and it's... And, Wait, and which, it's like, which Jurassic Park? This is, is the one with the original one. Oh, okay. um, oh, sorry. Yeah, the yeah. So, and, and she like gets taken by one dinosaur, then another dinosaur, and you think that dinosaur's going to kill her, and then um, the giant whale dinosaur jumps out of the out of the water and eats her. And you're like, well, that was a bit harsh. Like, <laughs> But in this film, you have this moment where... And this is, again, it's like just really solid payoff to justice. Yeah. And I think as a, as, as a, as a viewer, you want to see justice done proportionately Yeah, again, because it's a story and you can do that in real life. This isn't what happens, but in, yeah. in a story you find Finch's death satisfying because he's gotten his man, but also at the same time you find Dorma's death mm. satisfying because he has this moment with Ellie yep. where he can, in some way, redeem himself. Yeah. Even if it's a small way, yet also there's something right in his death and hopefully something right in Ellie that she chooses to not lose her way and, mm. yes, indeed, hand in that evidence yeah. and put forward the case. Exactly. And I, and I thought this was going to be, like, a, a, an annoying Nolan part where the character, Ellie's character, just decides to throw it away. Like, throw it away. And I was like, no, please don't, don't please don't. Yeah. Or at least don't give us like that classic Nolan thing where we're it's unsure like, um, ambiguous. what happens. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but there's finality to it, which yeah. which I guess is probably the the way the original film ended Has, as well. Yeah. I don't think he's going to deviate away from that remake. Um, so yeah, great last words for the character. And it's, um, and you're right. It's, it brings justice to, a story that you you know deep down inside needs to have some kind of justice to it. Mm. Um, and it pays off the characters very, very well. And it's unfortunate for Dorma to, to die, but, you know, he's he's so, he's so like, pre- I don't know if protected is the right word, but he's, he's just so, like, weighed down by the insomnia mm. <laughs> itself. He's, he's exhausted. He's by... exhausted. And, and I think him feeling the death probably wasn't as painful as it should have been because he was so exhausted. He hadn't slept for how many days had passed? I think it would have been four or five. I keep trying it's to remember. Like that, and you right? start to lose track too. It's like, it doesn't yeah. really matter. He's just not slept. He hasn't <laughs> slept His whole time has all. been in this, this town. And that's insane. Yeah. And, and this is also the theme of insomnia probably also plays into um, like his career as a whole, mm. right? Because mm. he's been a detective and he's been hiding secrets as a detective for so long. Yeah. So I think that's also part of the insomnia theme is that he's, he's, he's stayed like, you know, there's, there's a lot of fatigue around his career that he's not willing to give up because yeah. if they find out for whatever reason, his clean record's not going to be so clean anymore. It's like that question of it's like, well, what's the point if I can't do the, the kind of cop work I want to do and yeah. put away people even if this is the way. And then this is, again, it's that sense of 
what is a sense of justice where he actually doesn't so much mind tampering because he finds that there is an injustice in the system at large Yeah, where it's yeah. like, yeah, you can't put away a pedophile unless you have all the right evidence. Yeah. Otherwise that guy walks. This is the only way. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's why, yeah, that's wild. And, and again, that, that should play on and make people feel uncomfortable and question the larger system at work that creates a cop like Dorma. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a classic anti-hero characteristic, yeah. you know, vigilante Batman. type of... What? Come on, come on, Nolan. <laughs> you have your tie. Oh, <laughs> that's why it's nice, at least in Tenet, there's a black guy as the protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> True. Oh. Reversing the roles. Anyway. So that pretty much takes us to the in, like that takes us to the end of the entire plot. Cool. What well, would you um? <laughs> what would you rank this? Uh, out of ten. Out, or... out of ten, I um I did my um my solid little uh, logistical ranking, and I came up with a seventy-eight out of a hundred, or seven point eight. Uh, and I think seven point eight is a nice solid one. Uh, I gave Memento eighty-six out of a hundred, and I think this here has. A stronger story, and yet it's 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 also got certain basic elements to a story. Which here you see again Nolan flexing his creative muscles, yet not having. Yeah, it's a good story, but it's not as engaging or gripping in many ways comparative mm-hmm. to some of his other films. But seventy eight's a great mark, and I I just thoroughly enjoyed it as a story. It was it was great. It was a great ride. Yeah, it was a good watch, and if you're if you're up for anything uh, to 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 get you thinking, this movie definitely gets you thinking. Nolan has high standards, so I mean, seventy eight's it's not really that bad no, at all by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> what, what about for you? I would give this an a solid eight, solid eight, yeah, a solid eight out of ten. So very close to your mark of seventy. Uh, was seventy eight percent? Seventy eight percent. Yeah, very close to that. I, guess, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's 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 not it's not like the most amazing film in general, um, but I th- I do think it's a really well told story um, when you sort of lump it in the category of like crime investigation type mm. films. Mm. Um, it's definitely really really good, and it's not something that I can watch all the time. It's definitely not like you know out of the Nolan films. It's not like a movie that I'm like, yeah, I really want to watch Insomnia today or something like that. It's, it's <laughs> not that kind of film because you're no, no, no. coming back to the subject matter that was talking about earlier on in the cast is that the subject matter is just not something that you want to revisit every single time. No. And again, that, uh, that, that's, that's great. Like that's, that, that means I think in many ways he's done his job as a filmmaker because this is, this is that kind of cerebral film, which has that, that energy, uh, which is a dark energy, but it it also has hope in it, which I really enjoyed. (laughs) Yep. There is hope, you know, there's catharsis at the end of it. So if there's any really good takeaway, um, if you really want to revisit this film, is that knowing there is some good catharsis at the end of it. Absolutely. And so I think we're at two for two so far with excellent Nolan films. (laughs) Two for two. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty much the end of our second episode for Legacy Series, kicking it off with Christopher Nolan films and the second of his being Insomnia. 78% 78% for Nathan and 8 out of 10 for me. On the next episode of the Legacy Series, we will be reviewing and recapping. You ready for this? I'm ready. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Batman begins. Yeah.
Also, some upcoming reviews over the next two weeks. We will include movies such as Nightmare Alley, Spencer, King Richard, and Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is actually going to drop tomorrow, mm. the Ghostbusters review. Um, yeah, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram, guys, at npsammy. Uh, mostly food and coffee and running. That's what you'll find on my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What about you, Ru? You can find me on River underscore V-I-L-I. That's my Instagram handle. That's my personal one. Uh, for Legit Cool Podcast, you can find us at Legit Cool Podcast on Instagram and also on Facebook, Legit Cool Podcast Movie Talk. Um, if it is your first time here, make sure you hit the notifications button so you know when the next episode drops. For Legit Cool, I'm Rivoli.